It's Wednesday, April 24th. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers, from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jim Mueller, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, earnings palooza continues. Yay. Uh, we've got Netflix, we've got Hershey, but we are going to start with a couple of Dow stocks, AT&T and 3M. We'll start with AT&T. Shares up 4% earlier today after first quarter earnings were up 5%. Charlie Travers, what's the story with America's largest phone company? Sure. I, I think companies like AT&T and Verizon are the unappreciated winners of the smartphone and tablet revolution. These companies have been catching a lot of heat lately for selling iPhones, and supposedly they depressed their margins due to the subsidies, and that is not the case here. Uh, They are benefiting greatly, actually, from people using the iPhone and iPads. Uh, And the reason is that these uh, subscribers have 90% higher revenue per user than people who are not on a smartphone. And so the trend over the last year is, as AT&T has increased its subscribers from 31 to 41 million, a greater percentage of those people are on smartphones than they were last year. And so that means higher data plans and data packages where AT&T gets more and more money out of them. Uh, And so I think AT&T is a big win here. Joe, what do you think? Well, last quarter was the first one where new wireless contracts didn't increase. First time ever here in the U.S., which I think is great news for consumers, mm-hmm. bad news if you make phones. It's great for us because that means the market's somewhat plateauing, and that means that you're going to see the AT&Ts, Verizons of the world, assuming that they can't consolidate. And it seems like the Justice Department's pretty determined to not let that happen. Uh, we could start seeing some pricing pressure in a good way for consumers. And if you're a handset manufacturer, the fact these guys might be struggling to bring in business means that, you know, they're going to get theirs just kind of like your bank, you know, changing fee structures on you. These guys are going to get theirs because they control the gateway to the customer. And so the subsidies that they do dish out for these phones, you know, when AT&T and Verizon need to start ringing out growth here in the U.S. and they can't do it organically, they're going to start trying to get it somewhere. And a logical place is to provide less subsidies on phones. Yeah, Charlie, you brought uh, Verizon into the conversation. They also reported shares uh, up uh, a couple of points as well. Um, is this a situation where um, the proverbial rising tide lifts all boats in this industry? Or is this more about just these two companies are really just knocking it out of the park? I would say it is these two companies knocking it out of the park. Their uh, lesser competitors aren't faring nearly as well on a cash flow basis. AT&T and Verizon make gobs and gobs of money on very strong dividends out of both of these companies. Uh, 3M also beat expectations. First quarter profits up 7%. Joe, this is one of your recommendations. Uh, how'd they do? Yeah, it was a great quarter. It's, I mean, it's 3M, so they have a history of... A lot of Post-it notes. A lot of Post-it notes, uh, consistent innovation, broad, diverse lines of business. Uh, the display business, for example, had a really bad quarter. Uh, that's kind of a continuation of soft sales from TVs. So basically, those prices keep falling, and that hurts the 3Ms of the world that are backing that up. But because the business is diverse, it's global, uh, they're able to get around that. Had a pretty good quarter. I mean, it's a sleepy business, but it's increased its dividend 54 straight years. Pretty happy with it. Really? 54. 54 straight years? Yeah. How do they do that? Is it just a penny at a time? or? No, I mean, it's been meaningful increases over time. They're as funny as it sounds, they're an old school company, but they're very, very focused on innovation and new products. And 
I think when you look at that string of dividend increases, it really speaks to that. Um, AT&T and 3M, the, the way those two companies perform with their latest earnings, um, the, for better or for worse, they're getting the credit uh, or a lot of the credit today for the market being up. Um, you also had United Technologies, a, a third Dow stock, also reporting today, also doing well. Netflix added nearly 3 million subscribers this quarter and beat earnings estimates, and yet... Shares down more than 13% so far today, making it one of the worst performing stocks uh, in America. Jim Mueller, what is going on at Netflix? Well, I think uh, what's going on is that uh, after the last summer and uh, last winter, uh, the the quickster hold debacle, the price raise, and then the raising of capital in the the fourth quarter, uh, people are really not trusting what management is telling them anymore. And I think I think they're and so they're selling it off. I mean, any hint the, – the whole model, the whole, the whole business model uh, depends on growing the subscribers so that they can pay for this more content that they keep on licensing and everything. And so the merest whiff of a hint that uh, subscriber growth is not going to be coming as high as people expect or think the company needs and the stock's going to get pummeled. And management uh, really whiffed on their guidance uh, – in trying to explain this seasonality thing. And I, I read those paragraphs three, tif- three different times, and I still don't get quite what they were saying. And I was going to say, because it seems like in terms of, if you're just going by the numbers, it seems like they really hit their numbers for oh, the they, quarter. they but, did a great job. But what people are really focused on in terms of selling the stock off are, is this whole notion that the next quarter isn't going to be quite as robust. Exactly. But actually, the next quarter, I think, there's going to be, is going to turn out to be better than people are expecting. The um, Netflix was saying, okay, we're going to stop our international growth until we return to profitability or at least break even on a, on a global basis. And the expectation was that that wasn't going to happen until Q4, so they'd expand sometime next year. And now the guidance is that they're going to be profitable or break even in Q2, the current quarter, about six months ahead of schedule. And uh, but people aren't – I don't think that people are really buying it yet. But I, But in contrast, I think they should – because management has a really solid lock, except for one major mistake last last year's Q3, uh, on how many subscribers they're going to have in in the near future. Since I've been, I've been tracking this since uh, the first uh, quarter of 2009, and that's 13 quarters in a row, and they've hit it 12 times out of 13. Joe, what do you think when you look at this company? I don't have a lot of confidence in management. I think they've lost uh, that of Wall Street, and that's fair. That said, I think it's starting to look interesting. Netflix is difficult to model and it's difficult to wrap your head around, but I think that also speaks to a potential opportunity here. And, you know, they were a first mover. I do think there's an advantage there. And, you know, I'm planning on spending all more time in it in, in the short term, just trying to get to the root of what it's worth. Charlie? Publicly traded companies just get pounded on a quarter-by-quarter basis if they sacrifice profits to invest in the long-term health of the business. Uh, You see that time and time again. Uh, Amazon's Jeff Bezos caught a lot of flack for years for investing heavily in distribution centers and technology like the Kindle, even though that was the right thing to do to widen his competitive advantage over the peers. I think that's what Netflix is trying to do now. They are, you know, they're diverting the ample cash the DVD business still generates to get a foothold in internationally before it's too late. I mean, frankly, if they don't act now, they're going to miss the boat and they have to Mm -hmm. make this investment if they want to be a global business. Uh, And that always 
you know, makes the Wall Street crowd with its quarter-by-quarter earnings focus kind of angry, even though it might be better for Netflix three to five years out. Um, but, the, the, you know, the rubber hits the road. They got to prove that they can do this profitably, and that's what I think is a big concern on my end. What is the, the number or the one thing that investors should really be watching with this company over the next six months? Is it, is it that subscriber number? Um, is it something on the international side? Is it another new original content deal? What do you think, Jim? I think it's the subscriber number. And while I'm, I'm not as focused about the domestic subscriber situation anymore, uh, but the international growth, because that's where their growth is going to come from. Uh, just six, uh, six quarters after uh, crossing our northern border into Canada, so, uh, total subs of international people are like 10% of the, of the total for the company. And they grew uh, international subs like 60%. And th- that's where their growth is going to come. And so I like their, I like their plan of uh, moving in, in measured steps into different markets. Uh, I think they're, it's going to be successful. Joe, what do you think? It's, I mean, you said it's starting to look interesting, and I know you want to dig into the numbers some more. But is this? I mean, when when you when you say something about a stock looking starting to look interesting, that to me says that you know its its valuation is starting to get into the Joe Mager zone. Yeah, well, the stock's just been slaughtered from its high, and it was grossly overvalued for a granted, while. I, granted, I, yeah, I don't think there's any way to get around that. But it has come back in a huge way, and right now everyone is seemingly kicked into the curb. Like value guys won't touch it because it's kind of a, a fallen angel, and they think it's difficult to value. And growth guys are just you know completely disillusioned with it. So it's kind of been left to its own devices, and yeah. in a way, it kind of reminds me of a Sirius XM a couple years ago, where everyone was just kind of like. I don't know how to think about this business, yada, yada, and everyone just wrote it off. And if you were Steve Broido, our audio guy, <laughs> and you were a contrarian and you, you bought it, you did extremely well. So I'm trying to think of it through those lenses and be a little more flexible. Hershey's first quarter earnings beat expectations, shares up more than 5% today. Charlie Travers? What do you wow. think, man? Eye-popping. Yeah. I mean, so they, they have revenue up 10% almost exclusively on pricing power. I mean, that's, you know, oh, we talk nice. about, you know, big brands and uh, wide-mode businesses. Hershey's, with its 43% market share and, you know, world-famous brand, could just push that pricing through and people are still going to eat their chocolate. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's a sustainable trend. Uh, 85% of Hershey sales are in the United States. This is a mature market. I would expect growth to fall into the low to mid single digit range for the company going forward. Um, but they had a just phenomenal quarter. Um, let's go back to the pricing power for a second, because certainly one of, the, one of the bigger stories in 2011, when you look sort of at the macroeconomic picture uh, was the cost of commodities. Sure. And we saw companies that really had a tough time dealing with uh, commodity prices rising. Um, Hershey's apparently is, is not one of those companies. They're, yeah. they're apparently a company that can say, no, we're, yes, we're going we're gonna to pay more for sugar, but you know what? We're going to charge more for our chocolate. Who else has that kind of power? Is Coca-Cola in that group? Is McDonald's Coke is in absolutely in that group. They had their uh, unit volumes go up even with price increases. I mean, there, there's a couple companies where people are going to drink their soda, eat the chocolate, uh, drink their beer for that matter. A company like Boston Beer, very same dynamic. Uh, and then it's on the other end, is, you know, like Starbucks struggled with the dairy cost inputs, for example. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's, that's easier to get away with if it's a small ticket item. Yes, I was, yeah. I was just going to say, because you would think that a company like Starbucks would be in that category, would be in sort of the, the Coke, McDonald's, Hershey's, we dominate this 
particular um, industry, therefore we've got the pricing power, but it, they don't? They were to a little extent, but they also had consumers trading down to cheaper items on their menu. And they, they did a good job of shifting it around. Uh, I, I'm assuming everybody knows about the Hershey Kisses, uh, the chocolate bars. I think I've heard the, of that. The sort of, you know, the, the, the basics. Uh, but Hershey has a lot of other products as well. So uh, we'll, we'll just round out with a little, little quiz here. I'm going to name four products. Three of them are Hershey products. Pick the one that is not a Hershey product. Here are the four. Fifth Avenue Bar, the Payday Bar, Jolly Rancher, or Chunky? What do you think, Charlie? Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue. Okay, Jim? Fifth Avenue. Joe? Jolly Rancher. I think it's Mars. It, you're all wrong. It's Chunky. Oh. Ah. Nestle Chunky. Ah. Who nice eats to- Chunky? You know they like you know they when you sometimes you just need a big hunk of chocolate and yeah. and and the good people at Nestle are there to provide it. Um, I also looked up that uh, uh, one of the other products they had I had never heard of this. Um, apparently Hershey has a fair trade organic chocolate bar called the Dagobah chocolate, um, which apparently the <laughs> is that where Yoda lives? Exactly, yeah. it's the it's the inspiration um, and and the Yoda segue uh, allows me to address something that came up on yesterday's podcast where we were talking about robots at the end of the show, uh, overrated, underrated robots, and I mentioned that uh, what it was I, a good show. It was a good time. Do you have an overrated robot in in just movies or, or anything like that? We'll just we'll get Charlie and Jim in on this or underrated either one. I think R two D two is immensely overrated. Okay, so funny you mentioned. Funny that. you mentioned <laughs> that because that's what I meant to say. I meant, but what came out of my mouth was C three PO. Okay, and uh, we got an email from uh, Roy Harvey, loyal listener in Connecticut, who uh, who said, "Hey, hey, you got it wrong. It's not C three PO who uh, in the third movie in you know uh, Return of the Jedi." Um, gets them out of the net with the little saw. That's R two D two, and you're going to get a bunch of emails about it. <laughs> so far, we've just gotten the one from Roy, but you know, we're yeah. all about transparency here. I was wrong. I was. What wrong. cracks me up is you remembered Greg Smith's name from the Goldman's. <laughs> you remembered when I incorrectly said that Paulie's robot was in two Rocky two when you pointed out it was Rocky 4. Rocky four. Yeah, but you got three PO and R two mixed up. Uh, it was you know it was a slip of the tongue. Jim Mueller, do you have a, an overrated or underrated robot? The only one I can think of, and I can't remember, of uh, Robbie. Robbie the Robot. Uh, I can give you like 10. <laughs> like number five from the movie Short Circuit. Yeah. It's just, I love that robot. What about no. Wally? No, the one from uh, the show Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder. There was a robot was, like, in a Silver Spoons? Robot. You didn't like number five? No. Johnny Five? Johnny Five. Well, Whatever. I mean. If, if you're going to go sitcoms, then you've got to go to the, the all-time classic sitcom robot, sm- the little girl robot in Small Wonder. Yes. I mean, come on. There you go. All right. We're going to close out now. Charlie Travers, Jim Mueller, Joe Maker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. She's a small wonder, a child unlike other girls. She's a miracle, and I grant you, she'll enchant you at your sight. She's a small wonder, and she'll make your heart ring.
plastic Microchips here and there She's the small wonder Brings love out